guys. It is so good to be with you guys today. I had such an awesome time uh, yesterday at Man Camp Champ. That was such a blast. And I just want to, I know he's not here, but let's everyone give Will Eskridge a round of applause for Man Camp Champ. And everyone else, seriously guys, you really, from the bottom of my heart, I mean it, you really are some, some fine young men, and I'm just so impressed by the way that you live out these virtues of being a good godly man, and I pray that you can continue to follow these paths for the rest of your life. So today, we are entering into week four of our Unmasked series of we're trying to uncover who we are so you guys have a firm foundation of who God says you are. The deepest part of who you are lies in your identification with Christ Jesus. So today, our topic is we are justified. So I'm going to be reading through Romans 3, 21 to 25. So if you guys could please get your, your Bibles out and stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. Look at this guy, Mason. What a stud, handing out Bibles like that. Okay, so our passage today, like we said, we're in Romans 3.21 to 25. I have the verses up here, and I'm going to start reading now. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You may, see, and I, you may sit, and I'm going to say a little prayer for us now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to speak on justification today. And I ask that our students here are able to hear the truth about what you did on that cross and about your sacrifice for us all, Lord. May the students have a, rest, have a blessed rest of their week, and may the girls come home from their camping trip safely, Lord. We thank you so much, and it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I remember when I was about nine or ten years old, me and my older brother were home alone in the house, and... We were, playing, uh, we were playing catch with like a, a, a pretty decent rubber ball. And you know how it is when you're a kid. You're doing stuff you're not supposed to. We're playing catch in the house. We're causing a ruckus because we know mom and dad aren't home. And we're just throwing it at each other. And the thing about my brother is that he's seven years older than me. So at this time, he was about 16 or 17. And so we're just playing. We're just throwing it. And you know how it is. He's got that older brother strength, so he, he tossed me one, and it kind of hit me in the chest a little bit. And like I said, you know brothers, and I started to get a little like, what's this guy doing? So then I throw it back. <laughs> I put a little mustard on it. Like I gave him a little something, and I got him too. And then it's sort of that thing, you know when you're play fighting with somebody, and then you little by little, you get a little bit more aggressive, and ne next thing you know, you're not really playing anymore, and you're really just like dusting each other. <laughs> So we're doing that in the house, and we're just throwing it, and then I got a little heated. So then I just like 
I just really, I really put my arm into that one. And I don't know if you guys, I don't think I've ever played catch with any of you guys. But my aim's not fully there. I don't have, I don't have the best accuracy. I'm not very pinpoint. So I kind of launched it, and it shot way over his head. And fear, anxiety, and regret filled me up inside as I watched our glass window shatter. And we both stopped. And of course, I'm a little crybaby because I'm 9 or 10 years old. I say, Nate! Like it's his fault that the, that the window was broken, but we all know it was really me. I said, Nate! And then I just, I felt just fear. Because in that instant, I knew that this window was broken because of me. This was my fault. And I know that when my mom and dad get home, someone's going to get a spanking. <laughs> and I'll never forget what my brother did that day. He sort of just looked at me, and he sighed, and he said, don't worry about it. I'll tell mom and dad it was me. And I was a little kid. I said, oh, thank God. I said, oh, I said, oh he's going to take it from me. I said, woo, thanks, Nate. What are big brothers for if they're not going to take your spanking for you? <laughs> and then me and my brother, we started cleaning. Yes, at 16. We are a Hispanic family. You are never too old to get spanked in my house, to not get spanked. Sorry. So then we cleaned it up. My mom and dad came home, and they freaked they freaked because there was glass everywhere, because we disobeyed them, and uh, this broken glass was going to cost us some money to fix. And it was there that my brother looked him in the eyes and said, I'm sorry, it was my fault. I threw that Nikki a little harder than I should have, and it broke me the glass. And my brother took his spanking that day, and this really blows my mind, because when I think about this, this is exactly what has happened with Jesus Christ on that cross. We are justified. That is what we are focusing on today. And if you don't know what justification is, I don't blame you, because that's a weird term. It's, it's, it, it gets into the nerdy side of theology. But what justification is, it is God's declaration of us as righteous. It is God himself saying, you, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, my child, you are righteous. So why does this matter? Who cares, Nikki? I'm righteous. zippity doo -dah. What's the point? The point is that justification matters because this is what allows us to enter the gates of heaven. In order to enter heaven, we must be holy. We must be righteous and we must be perfect. That is what Tony was getting at last week when we were talking about our identification as being holy. But when we really look at ourselves, we know that we are sinful. We know that we have done bad. So how are we supposed to get into heaven if we're not holy? And this is, this is one of the reasons why the book of Romans is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Because just this whole passage before, leading up to this, Romans 1.1 to Romans 3.20 is all about how we are wicked. We messed up. We missed the mark. 
There are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. We were talking about this yesterday at Man Camp, champ. Sins of omission are when we deliberately cross the line of when we directly do something wrong, and sins of commission are when we fail to do the right thing. So let me ask each and every one of you today. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever looked at someone with lust in your heart? Have you ever chosen something created rather than our creator? Because I have. I have done every single one of those things and more, and I know that all of us have as well. That is what Paul is driving at in Romans 1 to 3.20 right here. He is trying to illustrate that all of us have sinned, all of us fall short, and all of us have broken the law. So how are we supposed to enter heaven if we are lawbreakers? And students of Arbor Road, this is only possible by our justification by Christ Jesus. So let's look at verse 23 right here. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christian or non-Christian, believer or non-believer, every single person that has ever lived and ever will live has broken the law. And we're sort of we're sort of at a, a bad position because this is God and this is us and there is a chasm between us. There is, we need a bridge to bring us back. We had peace, but when sin entered the world, we were split apart and we are stuck away from each other. But the cross is the bridge that reunites us with God. Look at that language, fall short. We fall short of the glory of God. This doesn't mean that we fell short once, and now we're better. This means that it is who we are constantly because of our flesh, because we are human. We constantly make mistakes, and we fall short over and over and over again. And it's so easy for us to think that, eh, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not as bad as that guy. Hey, I might be doing this, but at least I'm not doing that. And it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are more righteous and, and that we are better than we ought to. And this really matters because at the end of the day, what we truly deserve, by the way that we have lived our lives, what we deserve is God's wrath. We have broken the law and we have strayed. We think that we deserve goodness, but that's not the truth because of how we live. If I'm driving down Bellflower, I'm driving, I'm driving. I hit Del Amo, and I light turns red, so I stop. Turns green, and I keep going again. I'm driving, I'm driving. I hit South Street, light turns red, so I stop. Turns green, and I keep going again. And then as I get to Wardlow, the light turns red, and I take a look around, Nobody's here. And I run the red light. I run the red light because, you know, I'm in a hurry. I got places to be. I got stuff to do. And a cop sees me, and he pulls me over. And he says, young man, you ran that red light. What type of folly, what type of silliness would I have to have, some pride, to look the officer in the eye and say, 
yeah, man, but what about all the lights I didn't run? What about all the times I didn't run the red light? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, but you don't get extra credit for doing the right thing. If you break the law at all, are you still not a criminal? Even if I have done all these things right before, did I or did I not still break the law when I ran that red light? And that is true for each and every one of us. We have the law. We've all fallen short. So that puts us at a bad position. What do we do? And the answer is nothing other than put your faith in Christ Jesus because he has done all the work. Our declaration of being righteousness has everything to do with the merit of Christ Jesus and nothing to do with the merit of our own. This takes me into my second point right here, that our justification is solely a gift to us from God. Look at verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What this means, guys, I know this started off on a little bit of a, of a, of a rocky start. It started out a little scary. But this is not a swan song. This is not a song of defeat. This is a song of victory. We have won. We are righteous in the eyes of God. And when we die, we will be rejoined with the Lord in heaven. This is a beautiful gift. Look at this. We have been justified by his grace as a gift. This means that our reality has a complete 180. Our reality has changed. We are no longer sinners by definition. We are no longer evil or wretched people by definition. When we were justified by Christ, when we were made righteous, we have become saints who sometimes sin. You are not defined by your sin because your relationship with Jesus Christ is the deepest sense of who you are, is the deepest sense of all reality. We are saints who sometimes sin. Our authentic relationship with Christ, this has changed the very essence of our being. Guys, we're free. We're free. We have been set free. And with this freedom, we must live in love. And I believe that we should share the gospel with others so that they can be freed as well. I want to take a second to look at that gift. Gift, 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 gift. Justification as a gift. This implies that it is freely given with no reason. God has given us righteousness without a reason to. God finds no reason, no basis, no, nothing that we have earned. He finds no reason whatsoever to declare us righteous. What have we done other than turn our backs on him? Really hammer that in. Our declaration, our identity of being righteous has nothing to do with our own merit, but everything to do with the merit of Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Justification is not a trophy. It's not a prize. And it's not a medal. If it were any one of those things, that means we would have done something to deserve it. And that's not what we have done. It is not a trophy. It's not a gift. 
It's a life jacket. Christ has thrown us a life jacket and he has brought us to something new. No longer are we poor. No longer are we the lowest of the low, but we have been brought up with Christ. And where does this come from? This stems fully from the immense grace, mercy, and love of God. It is justice. It is mercy. It is faithfulness of him for us. To be justified includes the truth that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, he doesn't see our sinful past. He doesn't see the times we made mistakes. Instead, he sees us with the righteousness that Jesus Christ embodied, that he had. In verse 21 and 22 of Romans 3, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This godly righteousness, this divine righteousness, all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is true, is in Christ because he lived a perfect life. He did it all right, and he has given that to us. Suppose that I continue my education in Christian education. I'm currently in Bible college so let's say I go for about two more degrees in theology or whatever. I'll rack up about a billion dollars of debt. <laughs> two more degrees. I'll have about a billion dollars of debt. And let's say I'm hanging out. I meet a nice girl. And she's a trillionaire. Her and I get married. What happens when we get married? She absorbs my debt and I absorb her riches. And this is exactly what has happened with Jesus Christ. With Jesus, he is the son of God. He has this divine righteousness, this godly righteousness, and we show up with nothing. We show up with rags. We show up with sin. We show up with failure. This doesn't seem like a good deal. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he gives us holiness. He gives us righteousness so that we can enter heaven. And what does he receive? Sin. And let's, let's really get into this. Christ got the short end of the stick. He received not just all of my sins in the past, present, and future, but everyone who would call upon him, all of us here today, he took on all of the punishment. In Romans 1 to, to Romans 1, 3 to 20, Paul is writing about how God, he is a wrathful God. And his wrath is just. It is justice. The wrath that he displays onto sin is righteous. It makes sense. So there are two people in the equation here. It is me and you, that's the same person, you and I, and Jesus. There's two pieces at play. If we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that means when we die, we will enter the gates of heaven, so we will not experience God's wrath being poured out. So if it's just us or Jesus, where does the wrath go? Does God just say, poof! It's good. You guys are set. No. 
Our God is a just God. He cannot sweep sin underneath the rug. It must be dealt with. From the Old Testament law, we learn that the, when sin occurs, blood needs to be spilled. And that is what is so monumental about the cross. Not only did Jesus die an excruciating death on that cross, you guys know how bad it was? That's just the physical aspect. The word excruciating, when you take that down, it says excruci. The etymology of that word, excruciating, it's horrible, it's so bad, that word means excruci coming from the cross. The word excruciating was made because of how horrible it is to die on that cross. And he took that. That's just the physical aspect. If God's wrath must be poured out, that means that when Jesus was on that cross, he experienced the wrath of God being poured out onto him, not just for me, not just for you, but the sins of everyone. There's a great theologian named Martin Luther, and he said on that day, Jesus became the greatest sinner of them all because the sins of the world were put onto him. What hell really is, is God's wrath being poured out and the separation of God and his goodness. So what this means is that Jesus experienced this on the cross. This is what he endured just so that we didn't have to. And that is what justification is. It is a two-part problem. With justification, we need to be made righteous and our sins must be dealt with. And that is what is happening in verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What this means is that God took Christ and he sent him to be a propitiation for our sins. And you guys are trying to look at me now. What the heck is a propitiation? I, I promise, guys, I'm not just making up words up here. A propitiation is something real. And if I can just sort of tell you what it is, a propitiation is a sacrifice that is given to appease the wrath of a deity. It is a sacrifice that is given to appease the wrath of a deity. And that is what I was just trying to explain to you guys. God has wrath towards us, and the wrath must be poured out. He is just. But rather than the wrath being poured on us like we deserve, it was poured out under Christ instead because he loves you. The wrath of God was poured out onto Christ so that we could be spared. To be justified is to be declared righteous. It is like a court term. It is the exact opposite of being declared guilty. It is the exact opposite. Instead, we are acquitted. We are made right. And I ask you to hold tight what it says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment for those who would call on the name of the Lord, would follow him and submit to him. And this idea of Christ being a propitiation for our sins, of us believing in faith, of us being declared righteous by faith, 
This is not something new. Look in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith. Look at verse 25. Jesus Christ is propitiation to receive by faith. It doesn't say we earn this righteousness by doing good. It doesn't say that we earn our righteousness by reading our Bible more or signing up for every EC team and going to every single HSM event. It means that we are made righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe, is to submit and to illustrate that we are following him. And like I said, this idea, it's not new. This is not some Hail Mary attempt, fourth quarter 10 seconds on the clock. This is not God trying to say, hmm, Darren Waller somewhere down there. I guess I can toss it. That's not what's happening. This has been the plan since the very beginning. Since the very beginning, God knew that he would give up his son to die so that we might receive righteousness by faith. And you're going to ask me, Nikki, I want to fact check you on that. Genesis 15, 6. I was talking about Abraham in our last series on Promise Keeper. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. He believed. All Abraham did in the book of Genesis was believe. He trusted God that what he said he would do. And he walked. The way he lived illustrated his faith. And that's in Genesis. That's in the very start. And I know you're thinking, wow, Nikki, you got one reference. I actually have two. I'm going to pull us over to the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah was written somewhere between 700 and 600 B.C., somewhere in that ballpark. So... It is in this book, Isaiah the prophet writes, is talking about Christ. The righteous one, my servant, Jesus, Isaiah 53, 11, the righteous one, my servant, that's Christ, makes many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The servant that is spoken of in the book of Isaiah 53, it says this righteous one, I don't know about you guys, the only righteous person that has ever lived was Christ Jesus. And it says that he will make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me drop the mic on you right here. This is written somewhere between 500 to 700 years before the birth of Christ. Jesus was not alive yet. He wasn't alive for 500 to 700 years after this. How can this be that 500, that someone is able to write about a servant, someone who is fully righteous, that will die, will take on the sins of the world, and will give them righteousness? This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ that has come through, and I'm really trying to get you to see our righteousness has nothing to do with the merit of our own works. It has everything to do with the merit of Christ Jesus and nothing to do of our own. Look at this. He bears our iniquities and he gives us righteousness. If we were in the courtroom, some magic, some miracle has occurred. 
We have been sentenced to a thousand by a thousand by a thousand years in jail. And as we are being walked away in our shackles, Christ came and he said, cuff me instead. I'm going so they don't have to. I'm going so my beloved son will not go. And we are given a life of freedom. And we know what happens. Jesus died for our sins, but he was crucified, resurrected, sent his spirit, and he ascended back to heaven. Christ has done all of the work. He has done everything. And this is my final point right here, is our righteousness is apart from the law. We are not righteous by our obedience to the law because I told you we have betrayed the law. So knowing that our righteousness comes solely from Christ, I beg of you, don't become prideful and stop trying to climb up to God. The reason why I'm trying to hammer this in is because when I was in high school, that is what I tried to do. I tried to earn God's love. I tried to show God, look, Lord, I'm good, Lord. Am I good enough for you to love me now? That was wrong because we can't earn it. I have tried to do it myself, and it can't be done. It cannot be done. One of my favorite theologians, the guy I talked about earlier, Martin Luther, one of the most brilliant minds. You guys know Martin Luther, the guy with the 95 problems? Yeah, 95 problems. (laughs) Martin Luther, he was a monk. He was a monk for about, I believe, 15 years, and in his monkery... He would sleep in the cold. He would sacrifice. He would do everything he could to try and be the perfect Christian that the Bible said. He tried to follow righteousness. He tried to live by the law. And do you know what? He couldn't do it. Martin Luther couldn't do it. He was brought to anxiety. He was brought to despair. And it nearly drove him to suicide. It nearly drove him to suicide because he couldn't realize How am I supposed to be good enough? How am I supposed to be good enough? And it was in that moment that he realized, I can't. I can't be good enough. Because Christ has done it all. We are made righteous by Christ. It is nothing that we can do. And it is this realization that brought peace to Martin Luther. It is what brought the split between the Catholic Church and brought us into Protestantism. We cannot earn righteousness. If there is any shred, if there is any shred of righteousness within me, within Tylee, within Liv, within any of our leaders, within anybody ever, if there is a shred of righteousness in us, it is nothing that we have done. It is solely by the merit, the obedience of Jesus Christ, being obedient even unto death. That is why in Acts 4.12 it says, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Our identity of being righteous has everything to do with the merit of Christ Jesus and nothing to do with our own. There's one more passage, some quick verse that I want to read us today, and then we're going to close up. I think this is one of the most powerful pieces of scripture. Galatians 2.21. If you want to flip there, I'll give you a second. Galatians 2.21. It is here that Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God. 
For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'm going to read that one more time. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. There is a reason why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation for our sins. Because it is something that we never could have done. But when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we can. So my brothers and sisters, like I said, this is a song of victory. We must rejoice at this. We are righteous. And please remember, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone do we have salvation. Please, flee from trying to climb up to God. Don't make the mistake that I did. Don't make the mistakes that Martin Luther did and realize that Christ came down. He was crucified, resurrected, sent the Holy Spirit, and ascended to heaven. He has done all the work. All that we must do is have faith and follow him. I'm going to invite Tylee up and uh, Matt to come do some awesome worship for us, but I'm just going to pray for us really quick as we <coughs> enter into this time of worship. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of what you have done on that cross. We are in awe of your willingness to suffer so that we might have life. May we never grow numb to this. May we always be led by love and by your spirit, God. Please be with us. Help us remember that we cannot earn our salvation, but that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus, Lord. Please, continue to shape us after Christ and lead us into the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.